0: With that song of preparation for the reading and hearing of God's Word proclaimed to us, let us turn to Holy Scripture as we find that in the second last book of the Bible, the Epistle of Jude. not a familiar book to many of us and probably have not heard a lot of sermons on this Bible book, so it's also a good opportunity for our boys and girls to ask lots of questions when they are at home with their parents. So we'll read Jude, the entire letter. This is the word of the Lord, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah, And the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak, of ev- these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that... There would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our focus will be on verse 3. We'll read that verse again. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The theme for the sermon is Contend for the Faith, Once for All Delivered to the Saints. And we'll be looking at two points, what gives occasion to this appeal, and secondly, what is the purpose of this appeal. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, when you publicly profess your faith, One of the questions that you are asked is Do you wholeheartedly believe the doctrine contained in the Old and New Testament and in the articles of the Christian faith and taught in this Christian church to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And do you promise by the grace of God to continue steadfastly in this profession? But here's the thing. Do you actually know what you believe? And are you able to articulate and defend the faith? We look pretty foolish, don't we, if we are sure we are right and others are wrong. But when questioned further, we have no clue why. We dishonor Christ if we have strong convictions but are not able to defend those convictions on the basis of the foundation of the word of God. I'm sure all of you had discussions or maybe even heated arguments with people who are extremely opinionated and absolutely convinced that their opinion is correct. But when pressed, what they think has no biblical foundation whatsoever. How many are swept along and taken in by whatever messages make them feel good and give them an emotional lift? How many go through the motions, but there is no substance to their lives? They are content to live in the shallows. The little letter of Jude is an amazing summary of what we are called to do as those who professed our faith in the Lord Jesus and who promised to steadfastly continue in this doctrine of the word of the Lord in life and in death. Jude is a tough letter. But at the same time, a marvelous read written by someone who is a gracious servant of the gospel. Now, since the letter is difficult to understand, it is easy for us to overlook the sweet way in which the letter begins and ends. The letter ends with a powerful and profound doxology, which I will read slowly to you again to let the power of these words Sink into your minds. Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And the letter of Jude begins with a striking introduction. For Jude describes himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And with those last words, the brother of James, we are given a clue as to his relationship to Jesus. Because the mentioning of James would have brought to the mind of his readers the James, who is an apostle and brother of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jude, too, is a brother of the Lord Jesus. But he does not speak of that at all. He merely modestly mentions that he is a brother of James and that he is a servant of Christ. So his position in the church of Christ is more important to him than his natural relationship to Christ. He wants to serve Christ as Lord by serving his people. He who with the other brothers of Jesus, did not believe, has now become a vigorous and passionate defender of the faith. Well, after introducing himself, Jude then goes on to give one of the most beautiful descriptions of a Christian that we should hold on to today as well. He writes, To those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And did you notice all three verbs stress the action of the Lord. God calls, he sanctifies, and he keeps us. Those who are called and set apart are preserved by the Lord. So that they are not led away from the truth. Well, this little letter does not tell us which congregation is being addressed. But it is very clear that these people are dear to Jude. As those who share a common salvation. Jude addresses them as beloved. Or as it can also be faithfully translated, dear friends. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. And that term, beloved, denotes endearment, tender Christian affection. And that is how it ought to be among God's people. That is the way you should be able to speak to each other and address each other in all your correspondence. Jude loves the people of God. He prays for them. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And again, this should give us pause. You see, even if we have to speak strong words of exhortation to each other, as Jude will in this letter, the starting point and the end of the matter should always be that we can say to our fellow brothers and sisters, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now it's obvious from this letter that Jude has the same ministerial zeal and warmth as is found with the Apostle Paul. You remember how Paul says to the Thessalonians in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 8, we loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have had become so dear to us. He and his associates Gave their heart and soul to these people. And so it is with Jude. He comes with that same great love. As he writes this letter. Without even knowing how they will react. To what he says and writes. Some may find him too harsh. Others might criticize him for saying the same things as the apostle Peter since 15 of the 24 verses of this letter are almost identical to what Peter wrote in his second letter. And some may respond to this message positively, grabbing hold of the faith, but division is also quite probable. And yet, Jude's great love and affection for these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ Motivates him to write, Beloved, although I was very diligent to write to you about our common salvation. And the word that Jude uses for diligent comes from a Greek word meaning to dispatch with speed and enthusiasm. Jude is ready to do something, to help and to serve. Since he sees there is a great need, he's willing to pay the price even though he knows he will be butting heads with people who have infiltrated into the church and have gained a following. Now Jude had hoped to speak about the privileges of being Christians. He longed to speak to the congregation about the glory and the riches and the marvel of what he calls in verse 3 our common salvation. The salvation that they say, share in Jesus. All of them share in the grace of God, in justification and sanctification and adoption. And being in union with Christ, these believers have a common salvation. Shared by all in the communion of saints. And note well the common salvation spoken of here by Jude. Is not somehow the lowest common denominator that allows people to call each other Christians. But in the end gives you nothing. And sends you into the shallows. That I spoke about earlier. No, it is the same as what Acts calls the teachings of the apostles and what we would call our undoubted Catholic and apostolic faith. Our common salvation is what all Christians are called to believe and confess. So Jude's original idea was to speak about their common salvation, but something came up that interrupted his plan and made it necessary for him to write vigorously, exhorting believers to contend earnestly for the faith. And that is what church leaders are to do today too, isn't it? Not only are elders called to feed the sheep but also to protect them against false teaching and against those who are harassing the sheep for their own gain and glory. In one way or another, it came to Jude's attention that the church was faced with a concrete danger that was coming from within their own ranks. And notice how he refers to them throughout this letter. He talks about certain people have crept in unnoticed. These people, he says, rely on their dreams. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. These people are blemishes on your love feasts. These people are grumblers and complainers and malcontents. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people... Devoid of the spirit. You find that in verses 4, 8, 10, 12, 16, and 19. There was a spirit of rebellion and a crisis in authority. That was threatening to undermine the ministry of the church. And consequently to destroy the church's witness to the world. And if that kind of attitude is left unchecked, the results are devastating. There are individuals in the church who are taking the congregation down a wrong direction. They are presenting their own version of Christianity and they refuse to listen to those who warn them. Jude says they reject authority. Just as some angels left their proper dwelling and joined themselves to the realm of the devil, rebelling and rejecting God's heavenly authority, these people are set on following their own standards and they reject the authority of those God set over them here on earth. The rebellion of Korah is mentioned. And you know how that rebellion took place in association with Dathan and Abiram, who rose up against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And these provide Jude with an appropriate parallel to the defiance of these false teachers against church authority and their ability to lead others astray. These people cause trouble And are described in verse 16 as grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. And these people have become blemishes at the Feast of Communion, the Lord's Supper, that the congregation celebrated because they do not serve Christ but themselves. For that reference to love feasts was a feast of communion that also included the celebration of the Lord's supper. So that's the climate in which Jude calls the congregation to contend earnestly for the faith. The sheep are threatened by wolves in sheep's clothing, by people who appear to be righteous in their own in their motivations but are self-driven. So that's the occasion. But now let's move on to the second point, namely the purpose of this exhortation. For it's not without reason that church leaders and all of us as members of the congregation of Christ are to be familiar with the depth and the beauty of the doctrinal truths that we find in the Old and New Testament. This is the faith worth contending for. Jude says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude, as a servant of Jesus Christ, sees it as his duty to appeal to those who he addresses to contend for the faith. As a minister of Christ, it is his calling to care for the well-being of the church, and so he changes the course of his writing. Jude exhorts the people of God to contend for the faith so that they gain discernment. And that's very necessary because false teachers operate of how the false teachers operate in the fellowship of the church. They're subtle, dishonest, easily gain a following. There's nothing righteous about what they are doing because they do not have the best interests of the church at heart. They're all about themselves. Several times Jude calls these people ungodly. Verses 4, 15, and 18. And all of this carries over to their teaching as well. And how they view the grace of God. They preach grace. But their lives are filled with immorality of all sorts for their own shameful gain. And that is not that far away from us in the Christian community today, is it? We know the pastors and the Bible teachers and the church leaders who have raised millions of dollars for their international ministries on the backs of those who thought them to be genuine. But for whom it all came crumbling down, When their true motivations were exposed. Well, besides being subtle and dishonest, these people are arrogant and obsessed with themselves. Literally, verse 12 says, they shepherd only themselves. Imagine that. People called to shepherd the sheep, shepherding only themselves. Verse 16, they boast about themselves. Rather than serve the people of God as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, they grumble and they complain because they think they deserve better for themselves. Rather than seeking how to feed the flock and serve God's people, they want others to serve them. And that is how you will recognize those who slipped in unnoticed, who do not have the best interest of the flock at heart. They're about themselves. Well, it raises a question for all of us, doesn't it? What is it that motivates us? Is it the grace and the love And the joy of the Lord, or is it all about me, myself, and I? And brothers and sisters, those kind of selfish patterns can take hold of us in our youth already. If our hearts are not filled with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are not willing to fight for the faith that has been delivered to us. Jude exhorts his readers to unmask false leaders and recognize them for who they are. But all of this is also an encouragement to them to hold on to what they have been given and not to be shaken by anything that should attempt to unfasten them from their moorings. They have to fight with all their strength all the strength they can muster to hold on to the faith, to what the Bible says, and not to be swayed by this or by that. The word that is translated contend means to fight for something with great strength, to strenuously defend something. We don't usually quote the message, but there's a good paraphrase of this. That you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. Yes, indeed, to fight with everything you have in you to defend the faith and its purity against those who are out to destroy it. And that calls for determination, sacrifice, and endurance. Well, at this point, it is important to repeat the first verse of this letter. This letter was written to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for and by Jesus Christ. You see, it is the duty of the whole church to contend for the faith and not only for ordained ministers of the word or the elders though they do have a special responsibility contending for the faith is the calling of every believer of all the teenagers of the young adults as much as our seniors in defending the faith different strategies may be employed Some can profit from gentle counseling. You don't have to bang them over the head with some dogmatic textbook used at a seminary. And others may require a firm reminder to defend the faith passed on to the saints. Verse 22 says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. The others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And furthermore contending for the faith means more than opposing false teachers with words. It also calls, calls for a positive life faithful to the gospel. That's what we find in the verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So the best thing we can do to be of church that is effective in contending for the faith is to become a church that is well built on faith and having a deep love for the message of the gospel. Yes, the best defense of the faith is to know it and to love it. And besides knowing the faith, prayer is an indispensable part of contending for the faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude writes. Indeed, we have to pray that the Spirit give us the mind of Christ. For otherwise, we will not grasp what is being said. And we will leave, our, leave ourselves wide open to false teachers. And here's something else to note. Jude says we are to contend for the faith. Sometimes the word faith... And the Bible is used for the grace given to us to trust and to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And other times, as here, it refers to what we believe about the one we trust. Now sometimes it is necessary to stress that the Christian faith is primarily a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because no one is saved by simply knowing all sorts of doctrines. Unless a person has a living trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and is committed to his service, all the orthodoxy in the world will not save him. And yet, we cannot say... I have a relationship with Jesus. And then turn around and deny the essential contents of the Christian faith. If the doctrines of the Old and New Testament are denied, neglected, or distorted, the result will not be merely wrong ideas, but also misplaced trust. The life of faith is not independent from the doctrinal statements of faith. When doctrine goes bad, so do our hearts. There is only one faith. A faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith we confess and for which we are to contend knows of the centrality of Christ, his work, and his church. And he who does not confess Christ cuts himself off from the common faith and from the Catholic that is the universal church of Christ. There's only one message that is to be preached and that is what has been delivered once for all to the saints. There are no new doctrines. There are no times where we can say, oh, well, that was back then, but today in our culture, that doesn't apply anymore. There are no new theological trends that God has invented for certain periods of time and to please certain people. The faith was not thought up by the church, but given to the church. The word is delivered to the church, given to the church, so that the people of God may live by it, but also keep, preserve, and protect, protect it. For when the faith is at stake, our salvation is at stake. If the truth is lost, salvation is lost. Many believers have been willing to die for the sake of the faith Because they cared about whether the message of salvation would be preserved. They cared about people. And they cared about the glory of God. Contending for the faith is never merely an academic exercise. But it is our calling as children of God. Well, brothers and sisters, know what you confess and believe. And be open about it to others. Why hold back? Why be shy? You have the richest and the most precious message in the world. Embrace the doctrines of the Old and New Testament. As you promised. And at the same time reject all heresies that conflict with the word of God. And though... This world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And therefore fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were called. When you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ